This episode of a Quick Timeout podcast is presented by Dr. Dish Basketball. Dr. Dish machines are the most advanced shooting machines on the market. If you haven't already, join top programs like Duke, North Carolina, Baylor, Florida, and countless others and upgrade to Dr. Dish. And now save an extra $300 on select models when you mention Quick Timeout Podcast. To find out more, visit drdishbasketball.com. Today's guest probably needs no introduction, but I'll give it anyways. He's the head women's basketball coach for the University of Oregon, Coach Kelly Gray's Coach, welcome to the show. Hey, my pleasure. Thanks for having me, Tony. For those that may not be familiar with the women's side, Coach Graves has had some incredible offensive teams there at Oregon, and uh, they generate a ton of looks with pace and space, and then they also use uh, use a lot of ball screens. And I haven't really had many guests on the show that that talk a lot of ball screen offense. So uh, he's someone I've had wanted to have on the show for a long time, and, and today I thought would be a great time for us to talk a little bit ball screen offense and just offense in general. And I'll start with that. What's the difference for you, Coach, in a team when I know some, when they hear like pace and space, they think one thing versus like run and gun. Yeah, it's kind of funny. In 2020, we led the nation in in scoring at uh, 85 plus, and we've done that a few times in my in my years at Gonzaga and here at Oregon. We've you know been. I'm an offensive coach. I, I love offense, and in that particular year, uh, Tony, we we led the nation, like I said, in scoring. Uh, our efficiency was 123.5, so 123.5 points per 100 possessions, uh, which is historically good. That same year, I think Gonzaga men led the NCAA men's uh, in efficiency at 118, and uh, the Dallas Mavericks, with, at, at the time my son was working for them, uh, they set an NBA record at 116.7. So to put into perspective how efficient 123.5 is, uh, you know, it's, it's incredible. And so leading the nation in scoring, people just assume, oh, they're just running and gunning. Mm -hmm. The reality was we ended up 275th in pace of play. Mm -hmm. So we weren't uh, the kind of team that just got up and down the floor, even though we were an, an opportunity break team and we did play fast. I think the reason, uh, you know, the, the efficiency and the scoring aligned, we didn't turn the ball over, nor did we turn other people over. Mm -hmm. And we didn't get to the line a, a ton. So, uh, you know, it, it, it was kind of a perfect storm. But, uh, yeah, I, I love, uh, you know, putting pressure on the defense for, uh, for 40 minutes. And, um, you know, even on made baskets, I think it's important to run a, uh, you know, we run a, a so-called numbered break. And, uh, and we try to push it as, as quickly as possible and, and make you make a mistake. And if you do, we try to take advantage of it. And if you don't, we're certainly uh, prepared and, and fine with just setting up a you know, on offense and, and, and running an and executing half court offense. You see a lot in the NBA and higher level tiered college teams where there is this natural progression between transition offense and offense. They, they flow seamlessly together and you're able to maintain that pace and that space. How do you all do that? And why do you think that we still have this segmentation of, you know, those four phases of transition offense, offense, transition, defense, defense? Yeah, you know, I don't know. And with every team, it, it's a little bit different. You know, uh, we, we, you know, secondary break, uh, you know, like I said, we, we try to we try to score, you know, early. Uh, and then we, we have a number of reads early, you know, that we would call a secondary break. And so we, I think, better than most flow into a half court offense from our transition. 
Uh, I wish we were as efficient as the NBA guys. I am, by the way, for a 24-second clock. I think it's time. I think it's needed. Everybody else in the world does it. The only entity that doesn't is college basketball. Uh, and then, obviously, high schools here. But, um, you know, I, I just think it, it's certainly personnel-driven. Uh, the better guards you have, the, the more opportunity you have to really flow into something out of out of transition. But, uh, you know, like I said, every everybody's different. There are a lot of college coaches that love to dictate every possession. They'll run a play every possession, and that just isn't us. Uh, I don't think it's natural. I think kids want to go. I think they want to be creative. But if you don't have the personnel to, to do that, then you probably should try to micromanage the game best you can. Uh, I've just opted over the years to just kind of let our players play, you know, mm -hmm. teach them correct principles and then let them govern themselves on the court. I know a few teams pace and space. The coaches are a little bit hesitant in running too many ball screens because they don't want to bring another defender to the ball. What would you say to that coach? Uh, you know, I still think a good pick and roll action is the toughest uh, action in basketball to defend to be honest with you. Now, we're starting to see more sophisticated. You know, 10 years ago when I had Courtney Vandersloot at, at Gonzaga, very few people were able to, to handle us in pick and roll. Uh, you know, I think his defenses uh, have gotten more sophisticated. There's a lot more out there. Plus, more people are running pick and roll, so you can practice it more. I think, um, yeah, it's, it's become harder to, to score out of it. Uh, I will still contend, though, if you get the right players. I mean, uh, was when Sabrina Ionescu was running point for me and Ruthie Hebert was our center, I think those two scored more, according to Synergy, out of pick and roll than any duo in, in the history of the game, men or women. Um, you know, we were pretty good at it. Uh, they were both Courtney and Sabrina were great pocket passers, so it was easy to do. But I get it. I get it. I just, you know, I I can't recruit to be honest with you, the kind of athletes that it takes to just space the floor and break people down. They, sure. uh, you know, I'm not as comfortable coaching that and I've uh, just never really recruited to it. So therefore we, we have the kind of personnel that, that might need some help uh, getting open or getting their teammate open. And so we, we use a lot of, uh, you know, now we use off ball screens too, a lot of pin down actions in our offense, um, you know, a lot of staggered action, but, uh, but still we rely a lot on pick and roll especially middle ball screens. We've gotten away from a lot of the side ball screens, but we hmm. do a lot more in the middle of middle third of the floor. I'll probably come back and ask you a couple of things connected to that. But in particular, as you bring in new players, we're approaching summer months. What are you teaching the ball handler to focus on and to do in that ball screen itself? Well, I learned from a, a pretty good pick and roll player when I was at Gonzaga. There was a young man up there at the time. He was a little older man by the name of John Stockton. You may have heard of him. Uh, maybe the best pick and roll player in the history of basketball. And and I used to pick his brain all the time. And, you know, when Courtney, uh, you know, first came to us, and for those that don't know, Courtney Vandersloot is the best point guard in the women's side in the world today. You know, she's been uh, first team all WNBA the last several years and, and I think she now owns like the four best assist seasons in WNBA history. And now she throws and now she's a WNBA champion. So she's added that to her resume. Uh, you know, John used to, to break it down because uh, I'd ask him all the time, you know, when you when you come off that that ball screen, he would always say, you, you know, your first dribble is what he calls a read dribble. You're, you're reading how the defense is playing. Are they going to switch? Are they going to hedge? Are they? Uh, you know, or they, they, they drop and, you know, whatever the case may be. So you, you use that. It's almost like a probe dribble. 
how are they playing? And then the next dribble is what he calls a separation dribble, uh, where you're now separating from, you know, the defense in, in some sort of way. Uh, and, and also that, that can also include rejecting the screen and, and going baseline, but that, that what he calls a separation dribble. And then the third dribble he would call a, uh, and sometimes even a fourth dribble, a scoring dribble. That's where, you know, maybe you use that dribble to get into the paint yourself to score, get into the paint to, to you know, draw help, put pressure on the, you know, the, the post defender, and then you make either the, uh, you know, the little pocket pass or the scoring pass to the roller. Uh, the scoring pass on a, on a kick out or, a, you know, where you're scoring yourself. So kind of those three parts. And he used to always refer to it as a game within a game, you know, that pick and roll. And that's, I think, why he liked it so much. Now, let's face it. He had a pretty damn good receiver, uh, you know, to go with him in Carl Malone. But so have my my point guards, you know, they've uh, they've also had great receivers. So um, I don't know. I, I like the way he kind of put that, a re-dribble, separation dribble, and a scoring dribble. And then sometimes that scoring dribble might lead to an extra dribble as well. For, for him, it was all about angles. And I think when I see players that have uh, that struggle, they, they try to make that pass uh, to the roller a little early. You know, they just don't have the angle and, uh, and makes it a difficult catch. And sometimes that player that does catch it, they can't really see what's in front of them. So, uh, I, and I, I see that a lot. And then I also see a lot of uh, players that come off uh, a ball screen and then they pick it up after one dribble, mm-hmm. you know, and that's obviously a no-no. You want to keep that dribble alive. Even if, even if they hard hedge, even if they try to trap you, uh, we use a, just a, a retreat dribble or two if a team tries to trap. And that way you draw on the defense away from the basket. And then, you know, you have to make an athletic play. And once you can get it out of that trap, you're you're four on three. And you, your chances of scoring oftentimes with an open three-pointer, uh, you know, become greater. Uh, you mentioned in there rejecting. I, I feel like there was once upon a time or even kind of at younger levels, ball handlers, they're going to use that screen whether or not it's actually doing what it's supposed to be doing. It doesn't matter if the defense jumped it or if it wasn't a good screen, they're getting around the corner there. You all purposefully reject a lot of times and it still creates what you want, correct? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Sabrina was great at that. She, she, uh, especially on the left side of the floor, she would reject a lot of screens. I think you can pick that up if you, if you really pay attention on synergy that on the left side of the floor, she was going to reject it about 70% of the time. Uh, but um, yeah, you, you know, I, I think it creates exactly what you want. You know what, you know, it's funny. You're not necessarily just trying to score out of the pick and roll action yourself. What you're trying to do is start the domino effect, you know, to where you've got a, the tagger and then the helper and, you know, all that stuff. And you're just ultimately trying to get uh, an open shot out of it. It may be from, uh, you know, scoring directly off the screen with the ball handler. It may be on the roll, but oftentimes it's the kick out and then the extra pass that, that, that you're going to get out of it, out of a scrambling defense. So I think sometimes you, people think you have to score out of the pick and roll action itself. And that's not necessarily the case. That's harder for younger kids. I saw, you know, Sabrina, as I watched what she did, she almost had the mentality of I'm going to, attack space to come make somebody else come guard me to start those dominoes so that then my teammate can get the shot that they want. And that seems to be harder for younger players because they think the pick and roll is for me to make something happen for me or for the roller. 
Yeah, and that's why Sabrina was so good at. She's a you know to the core, even though she scored over two thousand points. You know, the only player to in college basketball history, male or female, to go two K, one K, one K, scoring, rebound, assists. Um, you know, she was a to the core a pass first player, mm-hmm. and I think that's what made her so effective. You know, coming in to Oregon though, she was a dribble drive. That's all she had ever done: mm-hmm. dribble drive, dribble drive, dribble drive. She was not real good in the pick and roll early on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the kind of person that she is, uh, she, you know, just worked every day to master that. And and then in the end became maybe the best pick and roll player in the history of our game mm-hmm. uh, on our side. Anyway, like you said, it, it it's not necessarily to score out of it. It's to score off it. And, and I think that most are realizing now, like ball screen was once two player action and now it's a five player action, right? You know, it, it can be. Now, I'm old school in terms of, you know, if you run a continuity, right, and you're getting side top side with the ball, then it's not always in the hands of you know, your best ball handler or, or decision maker. Uh, we like to send a, a non-ball handler through. So we'll have mm-hmm. them cut through, whether it's off a pin down action, they'll, you know, they'll reject that screen and curl and the point guard will bounce back to the ball or whatever. But we're always sending that player through. And that actually came from John as well, because I asked him, I said, well, what happens when, you know, the ball's in Hornacek's hands? And, uh, you know, maybe a lot of your audience doesn't even remember Jeff Hornacek, but um, he goes, well, it's never in his hands. You know, he, <laughs> He's the recipient of my passes. So it was always in John's hands, just like when court, when I had, Bandersloot at Gonzaga for those four years. It was always in her hands. Now here at Oregon, I've been blessed to have other really good ball handlers and decision makers out of pick and roll. Maite Cazorla played three of her four years with Sabrina and technically was our point guard uh, all the time. You know, we, we viewed her as a point and, and Sabrina Moore as a combination or off guard. Um, and, you know, and Maite played in the WNBA a season and still would be, but she's opted to just stay in her homeland, Spain, and play professionally. And then now we have Tahina Pow Pow, India Rogers. Those are two really elite guards, both all Pac-12 players uh, that can play out of pick and roll. So now we've got two players on the court. So we can swing the ball or, you know, get it uh, get it to either one of them and let them, let them go out of the, the, the PNR. The best basketball coaches are relying on data more than ever. That's why coaches love huddle assist. With Assist, you get full game breakdowns, including complete team and player stats in less than 24 hours. Your stats are ready when you need them. And Assist is more than just the box score. Use interactive reports like shot charts and advanced stats, lineup data, VPS, and of course, effective field goal percentage to coach smarter. Plus, Assist brings your stats to life. Combined with the HD quality, automatically captured film from the Huddle Focus smart camera, Every stat is marked on the video at the moment it happened. See every shot, turnover, rebound, and much more with just a few clicks. Want to see how Huddle Assist is elevating basketball? Visit huddle.com slash assist. That's huddle.com slash assist to find out more. Is there anything that you like to do with the other three that aren't in the action? Because again, once upon a time, it was stand in space and let the ball handler make something happen for you. But especially at the higher levels, you're seeing more off the ball that's at least trying to occupy help defenders to create something. I think you have to do that on the weak side. If you have two guards on the weak side, just a simple screen up or screen down, doesn't matter, just to get the defense moving a little bit. Uh, You know, obviously, if you have a a corner player 
and you have a side ball screen, you've got the throwback option, you know, as they lift, uh, which can be very, very effective. Um, yeah, I think it's just, you're, you're, it's key to just keep them spaced, mm-hmm. uh, you know, either in the high weak side slot, uh, definitely in the corners and, and then just go from there. You had mentioned you, you kind of have shied a little bit away of the side ball screen. Is it more so of the reasoning behind that being the spacing of it? I think a little bit. I think plus the defenses are getting better. A lot of teams ice. And if you have a guard in the corner, uh, you know, it, it's it's a little harder. And, and then therefore we pitch a lot more out of it. So we we've we've actually done a lot more pitch action and, and get, you know, go get the ball than uh, than ball screens when it's on the side. I think there's just different ways. Plus, you know, you know, teams will trap a little bit more, you know, because we've had elite guards. And the one thing to do that's had some effectiveness of teams will will trap us really aggressively. And, and sometimes, you know, that that sideline can hurt you over there. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, we we've opted to do just a lot more in the middle third. We were talking about transition. Do you personally like early ball screens or would you prefer it move side to side before you, before you set something on the ball? We actually run some, some ball screen action out of uh, the pistol in transition. Uh, so, you know, so we get some of that early, uh, you know, some drags out of transition. Uh, but, you know, the analytics will say, uh, the 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 more sides of the floor you go, the better your scoring efficiency is. So, yeah, I love to get the ball to the second, third side of the floor if you can. Um, but if you can turn the corner on the very first to make something happen, then 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 go for it. I think you take your first scoring opportunity. But uh, yeah, you know, and I think uh, analytics will say that the longer the possession, sometimes the the, the more efficient you can be. Now I'm watching more men's on the men's side, so this may not be the case, but I, I get I'm guessing that it probably is. I typically see ball screens that are moving the ball handler towards the middle of the floor. Why don't we see more of those step up ball screens? Well, we do. We run a lot, uh, and then we run some hammer action on the weak side when we do. Uh, I think that's a great great opportunity to get the weak side action going. Uh, I like the step up screen, to be honest with you. And uh, we like to do that again out of transition a little bit. You know, teams that ice, in essence, you're running a step-up screen against that, even though we, we'll turn our back. We call it a butt screen mm-hmm. uh, against teams that ice. But uh, it's, it's step-up action. No, I, I love it. I think, it's, I think you have to have a good uh, amount of both to keep the defense honest. Do you feel like it produces? I know you mentioned a couple of the you know, actions off the ball that it allows you to run. But do you feel like it does anything differently for for spacing, for scoring at all? Well, yeah, and and you don't have to score again out of that. What we get a lot out of what we'd call a butt screen or a step-up screen um, is, you know, we will attack the baseline. The post, instead of rolling, you know, they'll read that. They'll they'll stay in the, in the gap, and then we'll pitch it to them and then run off them again. Uh, you know, and that can be pretty effective action, especially, you know, it's good two man game action on, on the one side. And then you've got the the weak side kind of loaded up with, uh, you know, uh, a couple of shooters on the wing, one in the corner, one on the wing, and then maybe one in the slot. I think something that's maybe undervalued a little bit is the screener. And as teams rotate better, once the ball is thrown to the role player, what they do and the decision-making that goes into, like if you have a great decision-maker as your screener, that can kill 
offenses. Do you teach that? Is there, is there, are there things that you drill with that? Are there things that you teach them to be looking at? So they recognize that. Yeah. I, I don't know how much, I mean, you can teach it and they can get better at it, you know, through repetition and stuff. I, I don't know. I think some of that is just innate in, in some of the players, you know, I've had players with great hands who you think would be awesome in the pick and roll. And they just, they're not that good. And they have someone like Ruthie Hebert who, Oh my goodness, she's as good a pick and roll center as has ever played our game. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, she's just was such a great finisher, made good decisions, had a nice floater game. Every once in a while, Sabrina had hit her early and uh, and she was really, really good, had a soft touch at, at the floater game. Uh, for those that don't know, Ruthie, in the middle of her sophomore year, set an NCAA record, both again, men's and women's record. She made 33 straight field goals and it was in the middle of Pac-12 play. She was going against other pros at the time. So it wasn't like we were doing it against some soft preseason schedule. 33 <laughs> baskets in a row. I remember when Billis was commenting on it one day on SportsCenter. He, he goes, you know, there are people who can't make 33 layups by themselves in a row out one on oh, you know, just out playing by themselves. And and uh, and she just had a, a knack. She was a great finisher. Now, part of it, she was catching and finishing. She didn't have to make a, a move necessarily, but she did add a really nice soft loader as a roller. And I think that's a must for everybody. I, I think if you're a, a center that's, that's rolling, you got to have that, that floater action. You mentioned defenses and more defenses being able to defend it just simply because I think, like you said, they're going against it in practice. So it's something that's getting repped a lot. So based off of that, fill, fill in the blanks for this. When the defense blanks, it tends to slow down our offense. But if we can blank, we can still generate some good shots out of our actions. Uh, well, when the team ices you or downs you, whatever you call it, uh, it's important to get the ball to the second side of the floor. So you may have to bypass trying to score on the first side, pitch it, get it to the second side. And very few teams uh, are capable of, of icing on both sides of the floor mm -hmm. after ball reversal. So when we see somebody that ices, we really try to get it to the second side of the floor. So therefore, we might give the ball ahead, have our point guard run to the other side, and then get it back mm. uh, as, you know, and then they're they're less likely to ice. Uh, the other one is switching. Uh, if a team switches, then I think we need to be really patient and look to attack the mismatch, whether that's the big on the little at the basket or more importantly, and sometimes more effectively, the little against the big, uh, you know, on the perimeter. You try to attack that kid and, and draw help so that then you can kick it out and you, you, or, or score, you know, however you do it. So patience versus switches, an attack mismatch, and then second side of the floor against icing. Do you throw it to the second side and then immediately go ball, ball screen that side? You can. Yeah, sure. Yeah. For us, it's a, uh, it's a longer sprint, but uh, yeah, I think you're able to do, cause usually you're going to have two players on the other side, right? A corner and a wing. And so then you can pin down, you can do some things to, 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 you know, make the defense work harder to try and ice it. And, and I just haven't seen a lot of teams that are really capable of icing effectively on the second and the third side of the floor, just because they're scrambling, you know, help side and then getting out. It's hard to get in the position. So that's how we've done it. You know, uh, 
again, our game is different. You know, our team defensively, they don't cover the floor like guys do. And I think the center plays a bigger role in the women's game than it does in the men. You see a lot more positionless kind of defenses and, and even offenses in the men's side. You know, look at the NBA. You know, you have Embiid. Actually, there's kind of a, a center comeback to some degree. But you look in the WNBA and, you know, five, six, or even seven of the top ten scores are going to be centers. Mm-hmm. You know, it's still pretty dominant that way. Coaches are always asking me, all right, so you talked about this. We want to really know what the coach does to actually rep this, to prep their players. To So yeah. what does that look like? Is it five on five? Is it three on three? What have you found that really improves their ability in the ball screen offense? Yeah, well, we have practice guys. And so uh, pretty much every day, or at least every other day, we'll light, we'll scrimmage live against our guys in small groups. So it might even be two on two. It might even be three on three. And we give our our guys, you know, they, they've been doing it now so long, they understand. But we'll, we'll tell them, mix up how you defend it. Switch it sometimes, hard hedge it, uh, drop, uh, ice, you know, whatever. And so our players just get kind of get used to reading that, the defense pretty quick. I think that's the only way you can do it. Uh, you just got to rep it. So we do a lot of two on two, three on three. And then we'll also three on oh, we'll dummy some actions. I, you know, through the hype, we do a lot through the high post. So point will hit the high post and then run uh, opposite. And then we run just a double staggered away and curl action and then pop back and we DHO, uh, you know, to the ball handler. So we, we try to drill it a lot. No, no, no question about it. And, uh, you know, you got to set some parameters with the, with the defenders, but, uh, certainly when we go against teams that we know are going to ice us like Stanford, that's something they've, they've done forever. Uh, we'll really drill, you know, what to do all our ice counters, uh, you know, that week. All right. Last thing you you've done, I've seen you do some clinics and some, so if somebody's wanting to see what you all do, where would you point them? Well, you can just email me. That that's that's fine. I think we have some stuff, uh, you know, that that we send out when we do that. Um, you follow me on on social media. I used to drop a lot more than I do. I'm going to get back to doing that. Plays different actions that we have, some workouts, um, and you know, so at Go Ducks KG is is my handle on on Twitter, um, but. You know, I think there's stuff out on if you just YouTube Oregon women's basketball. I think there's been some pretty good pick and roll stuff that a third party has put together. I it's not something we did necessarily. Yeah, I'll be sure to link a few of those down in the description so people can can check those out. That's Coach Kelly Graves, head coach for the Oregon Ducks. Thanks for coming on the show, Coach. That was fantastic. Tony, my pleasure, man. Let's do it again, okay?